today is probably the first sermon that will feel Adventy-ish, you know, feel like we're kind of getting there. Uh, when we talk about Advent, if you don't know the term, when we talk about Advent, it just means like the coming of Christ. It just means when he showed up. When you talk about, if you hear somebody talk about the second Advent, it's the second coming of Christ. And, uh, and when, we, when we're talking about Jesus showing up, uh, inevitably at this time of year, we start thinking about manger scenes, you know, and all the Hallmark cards you're getting. And do you, I don't know, you put them on your mantles or wherever you put them. How many of you have already decorated for Christmas? Yeah? One? Just one? Yeah? Okay. I see. Yeah, we had a couple in the, we had one in the first service that I was not surprised about at all. Michelle, normally I've, I've been like, look, can we wait until the Friday after Thanksgiving? You know, I'll drag it all out of the attic. Friday after Thanksgiving, can we do that? But her sister brought her some stuff yesterday and they put it up already. So we've already kind of like turned that corner a little bit into some Christmas decoration. And when we, you know, we, we've been talking about the Advent and, and we talked about uh, three weeks ago, we talked about how God created mankind to image him. God created mankind to, to glorify him and make much of him in the earth. And then we talked about how Adam and Eve had sinned. And last week we talked about the prophecies of scripture that said a king was coming and a savior was coming, a redeemer of mankind was coming. And then today we're going to talk about the virgin birth. And so here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. Jesus is the Son of God and co-equal with Him. Jesus is the Son of God and co-equal with Him. Understanding and knowing that Jesus is God is vital to our faith. In fact, that's our application. Our faith centers on the deity of Christ. Our faith centers on the deity of Christ. What we mean is that it is paramount to our faith, necessary to our faith, that we know and understand that Jesus is God. And then our prayer today is, God, we thank you for sending Jesus to redeem mankind. I don't know uh, what pivotal moments you've had in your life. I don't know what, what moments you've had in your life that you're just kind of, uh, you know, marked on your brain forever. And, and maybe, like, uh, maybe there's several of them. That hopefully there's a lot of good ones, uh, maybe more good ones than bad ones. I, I remember um, my dad's parents grew up in Oregon, or my dad grew up in Oregon. And so I remember going up there in the summers and I, I learned to fish on the Snake River there. I remember when we would be out in the woods or whatever, we'd be crossing a creek. My dad would teach me to like poke my fishing pole into the creek to see how deep it was because the water's so clear, like you could just step off into a hole and just fall into the river. And so like you just have to kind of test the water as you're walking across. And I remember him after like hikes, you know, through the mountains and picking wild berries taking us by our feet and ducking us, dunking our heads into the river to cool us off, sometimes leaving us under there maybe a little too long, but that was just his way, I suppose. Um, I remember um, meeting Scott Bayo in an airport. Uh, I don't know, for those of you who are old enough to know who Scott Bayo is, if you don't know, you don't know, and that's okay. He's not anybody anymore, really. I mean, I, he's still somebody. He's still Scott Bayo, but there was a time that he was, he was popular and there was this TV show that I grew up with called Charles in Charge. And I remember I met him. I met him in the subway line at an airport only because I followed him into the subway line. I first saw him at the urinal. And I, I didn't think in the bathroom there at the airport that was the best time to say, hey, so you're Charles in Charge, you know? Like, uh, so I waited for him to go out, and then I followed him to subway and introduced myself. He didn't know who I was. Um, he thought he must. He, he was like, I was like, hey, Scott, how you doing? Because that's just how I go. You know, I'm just like, hey, man, how you doing? And he's like, hey. I was like, no, don't worry, you don't know me. Uh, that, was a, that was a moment that I will probably always remember. It was just kind of a funny, weird moment. But um, 
I'll tell you another moment that I that will always be with me. And if if you've had any level of respect for me at all, I'm going to diminish that a little bit now uh, because I broke the law, and uh, and I'm going to share that with you. And and so now you're going to like me less as a pastor, or maybe more uh, for those of you who are a little bit dark and twisted like me. Uh, but in 2001, I was 26, and I was on a trip in uh, the Czech Republic, and um, ended up spending a couple of days in Berlin with this mission trip that I was on. And one of the things that we did is we went and we saw in 2001 the remnant of the Berlin Wall that they kind of have as a monument there now. And so one side of the Berlin Wall has has the spray paint and stuff all down, and the other side has photos kind of through history of the wall being built and the wall being torn down and kind of this. It's really cool. It's pretty neat. And literally, like, the ends of the Berlin Wall are just covered in chicken wire with signs that say, please don't chip off pieces of the wall. But it's just chicken wire. And so I took out my knife and I scraped off a pebble uh, out of the Berlin Wall, right? Because I'm in Berlin. I'm standing next to the Berlin Wall. And I had friends back home who had had pieces that they had gotten through the years or whatever. And, and so I have this pebble. And I go to put it in my pocket and I realize there's no way this thing's making it home with me, right? Like it's a pebble. I'm going to empty my pockets out. Pebble's going to fall on the ground. I'm going to be like, what was that? You know, whatever. Oh, right. That was part of the wall. Pick up a wrong rock. Then you don't have that story, you know? And so like, I like stories. I like being able to tell good stories and have good things and interesting facts about my life. Like when I was in third grade and pretended to be a pterodactyl a lot at recess, you know, these are, these are really key, important things. Y'all are like, I was okay with the law breaking part, but now I'm not ever coming back. So I'm looking at this little stone, this little piece of rock, and I'm like, what, what do I do with this? Like, I'm not going to frame it when I get home. I'm not going to put it on the wall. So I ate it um, because, because I thought, like, who, how many people do you know uh, that get to say they've eaten a piece of the Berlin Wall? <laughs> Right? Like, in my mind, I'm sitting here looking at it. I'm there with, hanging out with my friends, and they're like, what are you going to do with it? I was like, I, I guess I have to eat it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, think about the story that it'll make. And now here I am, 19 years later, telling you a story of how I ate a piece of the Berlin Wall. My nurse friend says it's probably in my appendix, and one day I'll get it back. And so, uh, you know, that, that's awesome. But, like, these moments, these things in your mind that, like, you just remember, you know? Uh, I remember, um, and I feel like I shared this story but maybe it wasn't here. I remember being in first grade, and I got for, for my birthday, or maybe it was for Christmas that year, I got a six-foot rubber snake. It was just cool. Like, I loved it. This huge, and I, I, I took it to school for show and tell and wrapped it around my neck and took it to school for show and tell, and these kids were playing with it, and one of them ripped its tongue out, you know, and I was so mad. Uh, it was my brand-new present, and I, I lived right across the street from the elementary school. Did I tell this story? I've told this story. No? All right, good. So I'm, I'm walking home, very sad that my brand new six-foot rubber snake is missing its tongue. And a fourth grade kid, I'm in first grade, uh, and a, a fourth grade kid comes up to me and he's like, hey, let me see that snake. And I'm like, no, the kid already broke it today. And he's like, no, I want to see it. And I said, no. And so he punched me in the head. And I started crying. And I said, you made a big mistake, buddy. My house is right there, you know. <laughs> and I ran home. And he's running after me like, I'm so sorry. Please don't tell your mom, you know. Like, it was great. Um, <laughs> these, anybody, like, you just have these moments that, like, you feel like they were just yesterday? Anybody? Some of you are going to say, like, my wedding, you know. That's probably a better story. I probably should have led with that one, you know. But, like, <laughs> but, like, we have these moments that are just 
seared in our brain, good and bad. And, you know, anyway, this is one of these moments. We have the, we're, we're introduced to this young woman. We're introduced to this young woman, Mary. And Mary is this teenage girl, probably. I mean, I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us how old she is. But uh, it has been speculated because of kind of the Jewish culture that she's probably pretty young, young teenage years, late teenage years, that she's betrothed to be married to this man named Joseph. And, and she's, betrothal was different than like engagement. Like if you can get engaged and then break off an engagement here in our culture. It's not as big of a thing. But in the Jewish culture, if you're betrothed to somebody, the only way to end the betrothal is to get divorced. Like you have to like, it's official, right? And so here Mary is. And, and here's this moment that's going to change the course of human history. And it's just this, I mean, we, we don't know what she's doing. She's just, she's a teenage girl. And here's what happens. Luke 1, verse 26, one of these indelible moments, uh, seared like in her mind. But here it is. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, we'll get back to the sixth month in a moment, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged or betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So here's what happens. Mary's doing whatever Mary is doing, and Gabriel shows up, and he says, Listen, highly favored one of God. I want to speak to you. And she's like, wow, what's going on? Like, this is weird. And he goes, don't be afraid. Just want you to know you're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a baby. This baby is the promised one. This is the, and he uses some language that's really specific to the prophecies that we talked about last week. And he tells them, he says, listen, he tells her, he says, listen, this is going to be of the line of David. He's going to have a kingdom. His kingdom will never have an end. He's going to reign on his throne forever. And he's like, I just want you to know that this is going to happen. And her first response, now, an angel of God shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And her first response is this. Look at verse 34. Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can this be? She goes, how can I be pregnant? Like, how, how can this be possible? And, and then the angel says to her, this is what's going to happen. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of God most high will overshadow you. And therefore, the child will be born, and he will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. That's our theology, right? Jesus is the Son of God and co-equal with him. And then, and then almost to convince her. So Mary goes, how is it going to happen that I'm going to be pregnant with, with the Savior of mankind? And Gabriel goes, God's going to do it through the Holy Spirit. And almost to convince her, he goes, your old cousin, listen to what he says this, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month that she's pregnant of her who was called barren for nothing's impossible with God. So you have a virgin woman that an angel has come to and said, you're going to be pregnant with the savior. She goes, how's that possible? And he goes, God's going to do it. And the thing that convinces her apparently isn't God's going to do it. The thing that convinces her apparently is, you know your old cousin Elizabeth? Like the really old one? She's pregnant. And she's going, well, man, if God can do that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, it's just funny to me. Like it's, she goes, okay, wow, all right, hey. And then she says this, this is her response. So 
Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. And the angel left her. So the angel shows up and he says to her, he goes, you're going to have a child. And he quotes, this, he quotes the prophets that we talked about a little bit last week. And he says, he's going to be the son of David. He's going to sit on his throne. He's going to reign forever. And she's like, how is this even possible? She goes, I'm a virgin. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, God's going to do it. Hey, check out your cousin Elizabeth, the really old one. She's pregnant even. See, God can do whatever he wants. And she's like, wow, I believe you now. You know, hey, thanks. That's great. Your servant's ready. And, and so, so that's part of the story. The other part of the story is she's engaged to Joseph. And at some point, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And it's not his kid, right? And I don't know what that conversation would have been like. I have, like, honey, I just wanted you to know something. Um, I'm pregnant. And he's kind of like, you know, shocked. Right? And she goes, don't worry, it's God's. Like, 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 does he, like, does he buy that? I have to say no. I have to say that he doesn't buy that right away. Because the Bible tells us that his plan is to divorce her. His plan is like, um, okay. You know, so he's like, he's, listen to Matthew 1. Listen to what it says. He's found out that Mary's pregnant. And his, his determination is, I've got to divorce you. So this is Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, he's a good guy, he's not trying to shame her, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was thinking of these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he didn't know her until she had given birth to his son, and they named him Jesus. So in both cases, both cases, Mary and Joseph are told this is going to happen by God's power. This is going to happen through the Holy Spirit. This is going to be the Son of God. This is God's Son. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's a really key name, God with us, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But he's saying, listen, he goes, this is of God. This is God's son. It's very important that we understand, okay? It's very important that we understand that Jesus is not created. Jesus wasn't created. Jesus isn't God going, man, we need to find some way to save mankind. What can I do? Okay, I'll fashion a son. I'll make someone. Jesus has always been with God. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. There is, no, there is no separation between them. Um, we can talk more about that another time. Ask me afterwards if you have some questions about that. We can discuss that some more. But the Bible tells us, Jesus says in John 14, he says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. They're, they're, they're the same in power. They're the same in glory. They're the same. Uh, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that the fullness of God's deity, the fullness of everything that makes God God, dwells in Jesus. Jesus is God. He's co-equal with him. 
Jesus and God both sit on the throne. Um, in, in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, there's the worship of, of God, and then there's the worship of Jesus. He, Jesus says that, in fact, 1 John 2 says, if you acknowledge the, the Son, you acknowledge the Father. If you don't acknowledge the Son, you don't acknowledge the Father. There is no relationship with God outside of Jesus. Jesus and God are one and the same. How that works, I don't know. Every, every human example we have of it falls short. Every human example we have to talk about how you can be two things in the same, every single example we have falls short. But they are one God. The Lord our God is one God. And yet, here we are, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In fact, you'll notice in both of these texts, in Matthew and in Luke, we have all three persons of God in both stories. God sent the angel Gabriel. Angel is not part of the Godhead. God sent the angel Gabriel to speak to Mary. said, hey, you're going to give birth to the son. His name's going to be Jesus. And that happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that all of this is happening unified together. So our theology is Jesus is the son of God and co-equal with him. Our application is this. Our faith centers on the deity of Christ. Our faith centers on the deity of Christ. Listen, if, if Jesus isn't God, he can't save us. If Jesus isn't God, if he's not perfect, if he's not holy, if he's not righteous, there's no salvation, okay? It matters that Jesus is God. It matters that Jesus is God. It, it, it's not enough for us to say that we believe Jesus was a good man or a good prophet. It's not enough for us to say that we, um, that we believe he was just favored by God. He is God, was God, has been God forever and ever. When Jesus prays in John 17 and he says, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world, Jesus is declaring that he and God shared glory together, that Jesus somehow put aside. I think sometimes we think that because Jesus was born, uh, because he was born, well, let me say it differently. If If I said to you this, if I said to you, Jesus and God are equal in power, most of us would go, yeah, okay. If I were to say to you that Jesus was the creator, we would think of passages like John chapter 1, 10 through 14, and Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, and we say, yes, Jesus is the creator. He holds everything together by the word of his power. I believe that nothing was made outside of the power of Jesus. Yes, I believe that. And if we pointed at verses like John 14 that I just referenced a minute ago, where Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the same. We'd go, yeah, I agree with that. We would think of things like Jesus walking on water. We would think of things like Jesus speaking into the tomb where Lazarus was laid, and he said, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus rising from the dead. We would think of things like in John 6, where Jesus is breaking the bread and the fish and passing it out to 5,000 people when there shouldn't have been enough to do so. We'd think about Jesus saying to the 12-year-old dead girl, arise, get up, or the blind man, see. And we would think of those things and go, yeah, he is God. He's the power of God. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, and I think it's just how we view each other, those of us who have had a baby or held a baby, we, we think of these, like, I remember, I remember about, uh, I remember Asher being born, our firstborn. I remember Asher being born, and, and I looked at Michelle, I said, are you good? And she said, I'm good. And so when the nurse kind of took him to the other side of the room and was wiping him down, I was like, I'm going with him. She goes, I'm good. So I went over there with Asher, and like, they're wiping him down, and he's squirming and stuff. And I remember grabbing his tiny little hand for the first time. You remember that? 
parents. You remember that? You remember holding that kid? Or if you haven't had your own kids, you remember holding your friend's baby for the first time and going, my goodness, how tiny are they? And like, if you hadn't held a baby before, you're thinking like, I'm going to break this thing. You know, like, like I remember like I, I had sisters who were 16 years younger than me. And so like I had kind of gotten used to that when I was 16. But like there's that little kind of trepidation, you know, in your mind. You're like, oh, man. I think this time of year, when we think of the Advent, when we think of pregnant Mary, when we think of Mary and Joseph and riding a donkey to Bethlehem, even though there's no donkey mentioned in the Bible, so maybe they walked, but we don't know. Uh, maybe it was a camel, who knows? But anyway, uh, when, when we think of Mary and Joseph and when we think of Jesus being born and being laid in a manger, which until I was like 22, I thought the manger was a stable. The manger is a feeding trough. So if you didn't know that, now you know. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Yeah, the, the manger scene? I don't, why do we say the manger scene? Like, let's say the stable scene, you know? I don't know. There's a manger in it, the feeding trough. Those are things that keep me up at night. How about you guys? Uh, and, and so when we think about those things and we think about Jesus and we think about the shepherds coming to see him and we think about little baby Jesus and we think about them fleeing to Egypt or we, like, we tend to, we tend to think of Jesus in his ministry as God and we tend to think of Jesus as a baby, as a baby. But he's still God. He's still God. He's not more God when he's calling Lazarus forth from the tomb than he is when he was laid in the manger. He's not less God when the shepherds are gathered around him offering him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, or sorry, that's the wise men. When the wise men do that when he's about two years old, he's not, he's not less God at that point than he is when he's walking on water. For whatever reason, when we think about Jesus as a baby, we strip him, or let me not say we, let me say I, for too often I've made Jesus as a baby be smaller than he is, be less powerful, less, like, if we say Jesus is God, then Jesus is, a God, is God laying in the manger with the animals around him. Jesus is God when he's still in the womb. Jesus is God, this is beyond our comprehension, Jesus was God when he stepped out of heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit was placed in Mary's womb and loses nothing of his power, nothing of his deity, but sets aside some of his glory so that he can be robed in humanity. And somehow the fullness of God is dwelling inside of Mary. That's insane. That's crazy. But remember, I told you that her aged cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. So a few months after Mary is pregnant, Mary decides to go visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is about nine months pregnant at this point. It's about time for her to give birth to John the Baptist. Her cousin's pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like the second cousin or whatever of Jesus. He's a, a few months older than Jesus. And the Bible tells us this is a fascinating story. Here's Elizabeth, nine months pregnant with John the Baptist. Here's Mary, a couple of months pregnant, three months pregnant with Jesus. And she walks into the room, and when Mary speaks, the Bible says that the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in his mother's womb, and that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And this is really, really interesting. I, I want us to catch this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But I want us to catch this, that... John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, the Bible, by the way, says in Romans 8 and 9 that if you have the Spirit of God, it's because you belong to Christ. That if you have the Holy Spirit, it's because you belong to Christ. Miraculously, beyond my ability to comprehend it, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, belongs to Christ in that moment. 
He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist, this nine-month-old, what are you, baby, <laughs> that hasn't, hasn't seen the light of day yet, recognizes when God comes into the room, <laughs> in the womb of Mary, and you're just going, wow. Like, we, th- we think of God, like, we think of God as so small. It doesn't, ex- it doesn't surprise me when people who don't know God act like God is small, like that's kind of what I expect them to do. And I, I will just tell you that right now, like one of my biggest pet peeves this time of year is you start seeing all the sweet baby Jesus memes from Talladega Nights. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, you don't have to. But there's this, to me, incredibly offensive part where the, they're gathered around the table and they're praying to sweet baby Jesus. And it's very offensive to me because it's like, um, like while Jesus at a point in human history clothed himself in the flesh of man and was born and grew up, Jesus never quit being God. He stepped down out of heaven and entered into the womb of Mary and never quit being God. And for some reason, I, I don't, if you had asked me, is Jesus like growing up and even in my younger years preaching, was Jesus always God? My answer would be yes. And yet when I teach about Jesus being God, all of my teaching is either before he came into Mary or in his public ministry and after. And none of it in the middle. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't ever talk about Jesus being God as infant. <laughs> and yet he is. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we see... Uh, one of my favorite sermon series that I ever did probably five years ago was on the response that people had to baby Jesus. And we'll talk about that next week, but instead of five weeks, we're going to do it in 30 minutes. And we're going to see how what people recognized about Jesus as an infant, what they recognized about him was that he was king and that he was God. The people who were coming to worship him, like, that's what they knew about him. This is God. When, when you start decorating and you put up your stable scene with the manger in the middle of it and put your wise men across the room, they don't get there for two years. That's... I, I, like I, that would be so much fun, right? Is like it, you set out, you set out your little scene, and then people are like, "Where are the wise men? They'll be here in six months to two years." Like because biblically speaking, that's a they show they showed up late, you know, and and at that point, you also have to have an apartment or a home for Mary and Joseph because they lived in a house at that point. So like. Let that just be a thing. That can be our new thing. We'll start it. It's the 456 thing. We put out our stable stuff this year. And then by Thanksgiving next year, you have a nice little cottage for Mary and Joseph. And the wise men are showing up. You know, it'll be, we'll start a new tradition. But anyway, uh, I used to ask my mom jokingly, can we put the wise men down the hall? You know, like, they, you know, they're not here yet. Anyway, we never did. Um, I, I know. I'm sorry. There's wires that don't connect fully. They're loose. We need to think about Jesus as God. We need to recognize that Jesus is God. It's central to our faith. And, and can I just make a, another point here? I get to because I have the microphone. Um, why, why, why Mary? Why Joseph? Why not the son of a high priest? Why not the son of a chief Levite? Why not the son of a, of a, of a, 
reputable Pharisee? Why not the son of a scribe? Why, why the son of a carpenter? Why, why people who, for the rest of the scripture, really play almost no role? In fact, Joseph won't play any role after a couple of chapters. Why them? Why laid in a feeding trough? Why born among animals? Why, why a carpenter? Why Bethlehem? I mean, that doesn't mean anything to us, but the the Jews they were like, you know, does any or they're like, does anything good come out of Nazareth? So sorry, why Nazareth? Why was he raised in Nazareth? The Jews didn't believe anything good came out of Nazareth. Why all of these things? Listen, God God has used. Why did why did Jesus pick fishermen, four fishermen to be his chief apostles? Why? You and I just like Mary, just like Joseph, just like the apostles, you and I can be mightily used of God, but we're meant to be the background. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you preaching Christ with words of wisdom and flowery knowledge. Like Paul could have come and he could have proclaimed Christ with all this wisdom and all these words and all this language. He could have done all this stuff to be over the top. And he goes, no, no, I didn't do that. He goes, all I did was come to you and say, here's Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, and raised from the dead. He goes, because I wanted your faith to not rest on me, but to rest on him. Why Mary? So that we wouldn't exalt Mary, but that we'd exalt the Christ child. Why Joseph? Why a carpenter? Why not a scribe? Why not a Pharisee? So that we wouldn't be able to say he is who he is. He rose to the fame that he rose to because of his position. But so that the glory would firmly be planted at the feet of God. That mankind is nothing. That we are low. That we are small. And here's the good news. Listen to this. God in his fullness beyond my comprehension dwelt in the womb of Mary. And here's the beauty. The Bible says that if you have put your faith in Christ, the fullness of God dwells in you. Wow. That's phenomenal. And here we are. Look, I, I, am, I am always going to be in my Converse, although I am leaning more now towards some vans. I've got my eyes on a couple. I have my yellow vans, and I think for Christmas I'm going to get some red ones, and I found a blue that I really like as well. And so uh, I'm, an, I'm an art art guy. I like art and colors and different things, you know. And, and, and so, like, I'm, I'm mostly going to be in my Converse or my vans, and I'm 45, and I will probably – I hope to be that 70-year-old guy that, like uh, – you know, I don't know. That's just me, right? And, and can I be in my converse and can I live in Dove Creek and can I be the guy who was the college dropout who ate a piece of the Berlin Wall who used to pretend to be a pterodactyl? Can I be that guy and be used of God? Yes, because God is interested in using the ordinary and the mundane and the simple to proclaim his beauty. We don't have to be anything other than we are for the fullness of God to be in us. And, and honestly, honestly, the less we're esteemed by the world, the more clearly the world can see God. 
I used to be one of these kids, and, and listen, I'm, I mean, you can be prominent, you can be famous, but have you ever had this mindset? I used to be one of these kids that thought, man, if Hollywood would just get saved, the whole world would know about Jesus. I used to have that mindset. That's not a true, that's not a good mindset to have. What I'm saying by that, and I'm, I didn't realize it at the time, but what I'm saying by that is if somebody famous, if somebody who has a million followers or five million followers gets saved, then five million people can learn about Jesus. But that's not how it works. That's not how it's ever worked. God made himself known through the mundane, through the simple, through the lowly. In fact, God, God could have stepped down out of heaven and ripped the skies apart and shaken the mountains as he touched his feet to the ground, could have done that and said, here I am, I'm your savior. And the Bible yet says that in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus made himself nothing, became nothing, and took on the likeness of mankind. By the way, when God makes himself nothing, he looks a lot like you and I. <laughs> Take a note from that. And he made himself nothing clothed himself in humanity to redeem us, laid in a feeding trough, raised in a region of Israel that was considered garbage, raised by parents. Like, listen, the, the crowds, when Jesus would say, declare himself to be God, the crowds at one point in the gospel said, we know you. We know your parents. We know where you're from. In their mind, the reason they would re rejected Christ isn't because of the signs he was doing. Isn't because of the miracles he was doing. The reason they refused to believe it is because they knew his lineage. I'm just Ryan. Ryan Todd Douglas. My dad is Daniel Richard Douglas. Was a year ago today, we poured out his ashes on the side of a mountain in New Mexico. My dad's dad was Roy. I don't know his dad. My boys are Asher and Riker. The Douglas name moves forward. It's going to be a different name than it's ever been until me. Because every Douglas in my family before were crooks and thieves and drunkards and bullies. And but I, I still like my name. It's me. I'm Douglas. It means green field. That's not super exciting. In Scotland, where it originates, it's also an insult. You're such a Douglish. <laughs> That's probably more appropriate. Everything I've ever found about Douglishes in general, not my family specifically, we're, we were crooks. Like everything we're famous for is trying to overthrow the government. Uh, we were murderers. There's a really famous story of a Douglish being sectioned and quartered, which I didn't know what that meant, but basically you're tied to four horses and the four horses pull you apart. And that's the kind of stuff that we're famous for, you know? Like you, and I, I, I'm like, you know what? Um, I, I am not on some mission to change the public perspective of my name. I went for a run yesterday out here, and every single day, like, I thought it would wear off. We've talked about this a lot. Every single day that I spend out here, I like living out here more. I just do. And I went for a run yesterday and was watching the deer cross the road up ahead of us. Sometimes uh, they'll be bedding down if I'm running early enough, and they'll, they'll, I'll spook them, and then they'll spook me because they jump up, you know, like, and more than once. 
I'm glad that I wasn't running with you on days like that because more than once, like, it was a high-pitched scream, you know, and uh, you kind of, you know, and you're just like, but, but like, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, why ordinary Mary? Why ordinary Joseph? Why ordinary fisherman? Why a manger? Why a stable? Why Nazareth? Why a cross? Why Jerusalem? Why, 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 why? So that God could be shown as God. And so when you leave here in just a few minutes, those of you who have put faith in God, the spirit of God dwells in you. The power of God is at work in you. The same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power of God that took Jesus from the throne and put him into a woman to come and redeem mankind, that same power is alive in you and I right now. Not so that Mary could be famous, not so that Joseph could be the best carpenter, not so that the fishermen could be the best teachers, but so that the glory of God could be demonstrated, so that we could say, listen, I hold to the truth that Jesus is God, and that's what my life is about. Micah and I have seen a lot of people turn away from the faith reject God as king, reject Jesus as God. We've seen people turn away and turn away and turn away. And I want you to know this. Pierce is preaching in Odessa today, but he'd say the same thing. And Micah and I would tell you the same thing. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that's going to shift my perspective that Jesus is God and that he's Savior. Nothing. We're convinced of it. It's, it's part of what makes us such great friends because, because we know, we know that no matter what else happens, Micah said it earlier, like our faith, our confidence isn't in this world or the trappings of the world or who I am or what my legacy is. My, my faith, my confidence, my foundation is in this. Jesus is God. Yeah, he is. That's right. Jesus is God, is King, is Lord, is Creator, is Maker. And I, I just invite you to think about this. That's true of him even in the womb in Mary. That's mind-boggling. That in that moment, somehow, he is still, he who is in Mary is the Creator of Mary. The one who sustains all life by the word of his power, by the thought of his mind. Don't, don't let this Advent season, don't, don't, I, I, I feel like we do this, maybe again, maybe just me growing up in church, I feel like Christmas is about the birth of baby Jesus and then somehow Easter is about the power of God overthrowing sin. Don't, don't separate those two things. This is still the story of the power of God. This is still the story of the God who saves, the God full of power, the God. Like, don't miss it. Here's what I'd like us to do for just a couple of minutes. I'd like us to spend a few minutes in prayer. And today where we're going to start in our prayer is this, really simply. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to redeem mankind. That's where we begin today. God, thank you for sending Jesus to redeem mankind. Take just a moment to pray that, would you please?
continuing in an attitude of prayer, would you pray this as well this morning? Pray something along the lines of, God, help me to recognize Jesus. Jesus who eternally existed on the throne. Jesus who was in the womb of Mary. Jesus who was laid in a manger. Jesus who walked along the the Galilean Sea, Jesus who died and was raised from the dead. Help me to recognize Jesus as God. To see his power, to see his glory, to see his beauty. close this morning take just a moment to pray this that you and I that our lives our will our plan that it would drift into the background that the glory of God would be demonstrated in our lives like Mary like Joseph like the stable that all of those things would take second place that our lives would take second place that we would just be the support cast, that we would just be the means by which God demonstrates his glory. That we wouldn't steal the glory, that we wouldn't seek the glory, that we wouldn't seek the praise or the honor, but that we would have everything in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our ambitions, in our goals, in our dreams, that all of it would be about making Jesus known as God, known as Savior, known as King. Take a moment just to pray that this morning.